There's a Jackie who's sad Because the fascists have won And they're building an autocracy I have come to review with you the progress of our nation To speak of unfinished work and to set our sights on the future America is on the move But it wasn't long ago that we looked out on a different land What brought America back? The American people brought us back Family and community are the co-stars of this great American comeback They are why we say tonight Private values must be at the heart of public policies We stand for an idea whose time is now only by lifting the weights from the shoulders of all can people truly prosper and can peace among all nations be secure. Teddy Roosevelt said that a nation that does great work lives forever. Never has there been a more exciting time to be alive. As they said in the film, Back to the Future, where we're going, we don't need roads. This is Between Us. I'm John Totten. We're interrupting our scheduled programming today. We typically record these episodes far, far in advance. Mason and I had been working on episodes 6 through 10 when America elected Donald Trump. Whether or not you see his election as a failure of Americans in regards to our national struggle with racism xenophobia and misogyny which I want to make very clear that I do whether or not you see his election as that failure we must all acknowledge that his election represents a seismic shift in the cultural values of inclusivism and multiculturalism that have at least nominally been considered American since the civil rights movement and as I tell my clients any change is a hard change even if you think it's good which again, I don't. The evidence in that shift has been clear to me in the last few weeks. Not only in the depression that I experience, but in the collective anxiety that I witness at work and in public. So I've been checking in with my co-producer, Mason Neely, quite a lot over the last few weeks since the election. He's an American living in Wales and working as a therapist And he's gone through Brexit as an immigrant, as well as watching his home country follow suit in this move towards nationalism. If you are just getting into Between Us, Mason and I have known each other since ninth grade, and his academic background is in counseling and journalism, which I think is evident in his exceptional grasp of the historical significance of this election. But here's the thing about Mason and I. We're just two middle-class, Judeo-Christian, straight, white dudes. And so I recognize that the people who are probably having the most visceral reaction to this movement are people who aren't like us exactly. So I asked a few friends who aren't white guys if they would share with me their experience. And I got a couple of really moving responses. One friend from back home in Tennessee sent me this. My name is Carl. I'm mixed race, half black and half white. I was surprised that Donald Trump was elected 
what I was not surprised by is how little the country cared about Donald Trump's racism. I'm not naive. I at no point believed that having a black president was going to solve uh, America's race issues of uh, injustice and inequality. It's like somebody who doesn't care about me, who doesn't kind of doesn't like me, call and say and leave a message and say, hey, just reminding you, I don't care about you. And then also texting that. And also emailing me in case I didn't get the phone message or the text, just so that I get the point that they don't care, that they think, hey, you have dark skin. You are probably a criminal. Like, let's stop you and frisk you because we're not sure about you. could be completely wrong about Trump supporters. Maybe they do care about his racism, and I'm ready to accept that as soon as they speak out on it. But of all my friends, I've had one speak out. It's hard to not take it personal when somebody votes for a candidate who has vowed to make your life and the life of your Latino and Muslim friends worse. You'll also be hearing a few excerpts from my friend Sabora, a Muslim woman who is the daughter of Pakistani immigrants and who is raising two daughters. I have to say, though, the stories and experiences of my friends who aren't white, they're tearful for me. And being able to process this election with Mason is often hilarious and full of laughter. And I think that range of emotion expresses the uncertainty many of us feel about this election. We have no idea if it will be ridiculous and silly or horrific. No idea. So we experience the gamut. And we process. We talk to each other. Here's Sabora. As a Muslim woman, person of color and daughter of immigrants, I am nearly all of the categories that are being singled out, targeted by the rhetoric of our president-elect. I feel like it's, it's impossible for people to understand what it feels like inside this body or inside this mind. I bring a lot of different versions of myself to the table when trying to figure out how this has or will affect me as a woman and a person of color and a Muslim. I, I hear people say, it's not that bad, or I think you're overreacting, or my personal favorite, I think it'll be fine. They say, if something happens to you, I will stand with you, but nothing's going to happen to you. And that denial is insulting, but because they are quote-unquote standing with me, I can't get mad. I can't say what I want to say because I'm representing a minority, and when you represent a minority, you don't get to have that kind of voice. You always have to be on your best behavior so that you're not labeling the rest of the minority as 
whatever negative attitude persona you bring to the table. We've elected a president who is in support of ID bans for an entire religion. But that's the same as someone who says, I don't feel like I can say Merry Christmas anymore because people judge me. I just step back and go, you know, will certain people ever truly understand? How you doing, Mason? I'm I'm solid. It's uh it's winter in Britain. I'm I'm not sure if people understand how how things work in this part of the world, but like you get to mid November and like the devil comes. And the devil comes, you know, by way of darkness and cold and just rain, rain that pierces your, your bones. But it's okay. I'm far more interested in how you're doing. I, I think it's been the hardest week to go to work I've ever had. And I'm comparing that to having worked with intense criminal offenders People, mm. people on the streets, people who are highly addicted. In my private practice, uh, I dabble in some of those populations, but um, I think, you know, I was a, I was barely an adult when nine eleven happened. But I'm, I'm, I, I can only imagine that this is something like what it must have felt like to go to work after a tragedy like that. And then at the same time, understanding that the difference is that there is half of the country who would laugh at the fact that I feel that way. Mm. And even in my interactions in the bluest of blue Seattle and Washington, the bluest city in the bluest state, you know, one of the bluest states and one of the bluest Mm, regions, uh, it has started to come out in the last week of these tiny interactions of, um, you know, people who are either normalizing it or defending it. And I don't know, the feeling is it's It's at first it was grievous. I would say, so we're about a week and a half out from the election right now. I would say for the first three or four days, it was, there was a lot of tears in my household. Uh, there was a lot of loss of appetite, um, which is when you know something is really wrong with me. Um, <laughs> um, when there's tacos being made and I'm not interested. I, I, I like I like the idea that you walk by the taco truck after you know after you finish with clients and you know like whoever's working the taco truck is you know sort of looks up and sees you coming and it's like okay better get the tacos ready and then you just sort of like prance by and like yeah. man no tacos today fucking trump yeah I know. And, you know and the undocumented illegal workers in the taco truck are like well we thought it we had it bad you know <laughs> exactly this has been my whole life you know uh, it's, there's been a varying degree of reaction in my clients all week there have been the clients who are there with me in the same boat who feel numb and who feel shocked and who feel scared there have been clients who are not interested in talking about it but acknowledge it and there's been everything in between but there's there's certainly a sense in seattle um of uncertainty so uncertainty how 
What's the what's the punch that might be coming? I think everyone I think people are afraid of anything from changes in their health care to f- fucking nuclear war. Um, yeah. and and the and people feel the potential for great harm. Um and also, you know, being a very cosmopolitan city, people are defensive about what the world is thinking of us right now. And, you know, I think there's a real sense of how did this happen and what next? I think, I, I think that's the unique thing about it because I, you know, you and I spoke, it would have been 4 a.m. my time Wednesday morning, you know, mm-hmm. the evening after the election you know, eight o'clock your time. And the solace I tried to offer was that you live in a very cosmopolitan place that will insulate you. You know, you're not living in Indianola, Iowa. You know, you're around culture. You're around life. You're around a multitude of different people. What, if anything, is this election tried to stomp out of all of us is a tolerance of anything that's not exactly as we are or given the sort of nostalgia fetishization of the Trump campaign, what we thought we were. And I know saying this now, days after the fact, it's it's a bit of a consolation prize because despite that difference and despite that access, it sounds like you're going through the same thing that I went through, which was after Brexit, you know, you, you walk around and for all your middle class ideals, you, you're pointing the finger. You're wondering, like, who who did this? Who did this to me and my, like, my kid? Like, you took opportunity away from all of us which one of you i want to know the real tension which is really hard for me and i don't always do it well is to hold the fact that there needs to be space for difference uh uh and and yet um while those people might not particularly be racist xenophobic misogynists his racism xenophobia and misogyny were not deal breakers for them and so it, it's difficult to hold that place where I am honored that someone would trust me with their difference, and yet I find a lot of problems that they are going to have to reconcile with this choice they made. There is no protection from what's coming. There's no protection in Britain. Like, the whole world is affected by these decisions, by this decision for this man and the men and women he's going to surround himself with to come to power. But I think you lay out an interesting point. You know, we're, we're compelled to work with difference, but if you can tolerate that difference and sit with how uncomfortable it is in this given moment, if there's anything restorative, we kind of are on the front lines of it because the entire process of the election was in decimating any commonality between people, not separating them through policy, for God's sakes. There was almost no policy discussed on a mass media scale. I think Clinton attempted to um, as best she could, but the the entire process was just about keeping people as far away and as angry and in the dark as possible. I don't know. There must be something redeeming because there has not been much. That's all. I, I'm and I'm grasping at absolute straws here because there's been nothing redeeming about the process, and it, it's just vomited itself over the entire world. One of the things that I think is interesting for our podcast is that I, we're we're working right now on editing an episode where I discussed this very thing, but actually three weeks before the election with Dr. Robert Stolero, the um, pioneer of intersubjective theory. 
And and one of the things that we talked about, <clears throat> he calls them absolutisms, but a, a, a brief way of describing what he means by that is kind of the delusions that we walk around with every day that help us kind of get through life. Like when I hang up with you today sure. and I say, I'll talk to you later, that's an absolutism, as he would call it, that I assume I'm going to talk to you later, but um, but I don't know. There's no guarantees, right? And so he's he's kind of a dark guy, but... I think one of, one of the things that we talked about is that this election represents a certain part of America trying to restore the absolutism that was shattered on 9-11, that America is uh, invincible and all-powerful and great. And I think one of the absolutisms that has been shattered for me in this election is that something like this would never happen here, or even that America will be around forever in the way that I know it. And 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 we talked a lot about finitude and human finitude, but I think what I've thought about a lot in the last few weeks is national finitude, that America is not this infinite thing, um, that democracy is not this infinite thing, um, that when when half the people in a country vote, democracy isn't even really happening, right? It, it's the beginning of all the old ways ending, and it's interesting for a, uh, if if a quarter of the population was voting to restore the idea of greatness, the idea of security, strength. You know what they've done is voted to undo all of the systems and all of the the interconnectivity globally that made the country great. You know, America became great after the Second World War. And what Trump represents and what sort of what the alt-right represents is this inward, bitter faction which has no interest in the outer world and has no interest in the relationships and in the institutions that allowed America, for better or for worse, and there's a lot of worse that we could point out here, but allowed the country to be the most dynamic cultural and economic engine since the Second World War. And that's the way that Europeans look at it. And they're sort of going, oh, Jesus, the, the earth is really shifting, and it hasn't for 70 years. And that, that's a, it's a difficult thought, because there is no, there is no divine right mm. that America has to exist forever. It's, it's, a, it's a terrifying thought. And that leads me back to the fact that there is still half this country that hears what we're saying right now and labels it as disenfranchising elitism. And, you know, they may not be correct, but their experience is something that, as a liberal, I have failed to reckon with, and that is why we're in the predicament that we're in today. No, I have to say say more about that, because you haven't reckoned with it. What, reckoned with their delusion? We, we all carry those delusions with us, right? My, my, oh, of course. My delusion was that this country would never elect uh, unhinged, despot right um uh and that, so that we all carry those absolutisms with us but i think that's the and, and again if there is one silver lining for you and i in the profession that we have that we have found ourselves in is that we work in a setting in which it is interconnected it is interpersonal it is inter interrelational and our delusions, the lies or the myths we tell ourselves, they enter into a setting where the goal is to, to see the things that had inflated them or propagated them or, or put them in front of our field of vision and in our emotional lives and to try and make sense of them and remove them. Mm -hmm. So I, I know I'm grasping here to try and find something positive, but I think, I think that there... But here's the thing, Mason, is we don't, 
as a, as therapists, I don't want us to grasp. As therapists, I want us to 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 at least acknowledge head on that there aren't a lot of silver linings here. This has been a week. No. This has been no. a week where I have sat. You know, I we talked. I talked a little bit on our episode with Lynn about the sick helping the sick. This is a this is a week where I have sat with my clients, at least the ones who are feeling it, and I've said, "This is not, this is not a week where you come in and I hand down this insight to you from on high, or that I oh, sure. have this stance of authoritativeness. This is a certainly a week, and and sometimes I try to do that in my humanness and my hubris, but this is a week where my clients have come in and I have said." We are in this together. There are not a lot of silver linings. There are not a lot of words to say. This sucks for all of us. Of 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 course, but 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 consider the great privilege of that to that you have an opportunity in a setting to sh to share that Absolutely. and to be vulnerable. Absolutely, it's maybe it's not a silver lining, but if if we put value in in the process of being authentic of being transparent and of acknowledging things that are just terrible mm -hmm. whether it whether it be bereavement whether it be the loss of relationship the loss of self-worth value you know mobility whatever it is like i suppose i want to offer it's it's okay and at least you have that at least there's that outlet and that avenue for you emotionally yeah it could be worse My entire adult life has been post 9-11. 9-11 happened when I was 18. I spent my entire adult life defending Islam and defending Muslims and defending Pakistanis and so on and so forth and blah, blah, blah. And so it's no, nothing new to have to stand up for my minority parts of myself. I was raised with a very strong sense of self and to have a lot of pride in my background. As a mother, I feel so helpless. My older daughter is four and she is so smart. She's two grades ahead of where she's supposed to be at four and I know that doesn't mean anything long term. But right now, it shows me that she is capable of so much more than just her age tells her she should be. And every time I look at her face, I cannot bring myself to talk to her about this election. And I'm doing her a disservice, but I, I can't take that part of her innocence away yet. So many people don't have to worry about that. She's half Caucasian. She could easily blend in to probably either category of Pakistani or Caucasian, but she's a Muslim. And we're gonna raise her as a Muslim. And for that, she will in the foreseeable future anyway, be targeted and persecuted.
there's a knot in my stomach for what undocumented workers are going to feel and for what people of color are going to feel. Well, not to be a harbinger of doom here, but having lived through last summer, through Brexit, and through the intervening months in which the far right, which tarts itself up as the populist right, has been on the march throughout Europe, throughout Austria, throughout the Netherlands, and certainly now throughout France. And what these recent events have done is empower people to do dreadful things in and pitch their voice in a way that was terrifying, to speak with boldness and clarity and to speak such horrible bullshit towards people of color towards people of other faiths that it was terrifying there were even stories there were stories in london of of americans and canadians on the tube getting yelled at mm-hmm. to go home so i mean i i wouldn't pretend for a moment to have the insight of what someone of of color of another faith must be feeling but mm-hmm. it, it it's remarkable mm-hmm. how it's it i mean what do you even say it's remarkable how quickly this madness can take hold And I pray there is something in the American myth and in the American story that would prevent people from doing it. I pray that people have seen enough clips of German shepherds in Birmingham in the 50s that somewhere in the back of their mind, it would would give them pause. I live in Seattle. It's about as liberal as you can get in this country. And a friend of mine's son was told that he and his parents were going to be deported in his kindergarten class. Are you kidding me? That's kindergarten. Kindergarten's five years old. That's my daughter's age. I find that so many people that don't get it continue to argue that we need to stop making such a big deal about it because they've lived with policies they don't agree with for eight years. Sure, I'm not going to agree with the policy. I'm a big girl. I can live with policies that don't follow my opinion on how they should be. It's about personal safety. It's about people who are friends voting for somebody who carries such a persona. Now I have to go a step further and pad their little ego and tell them that I understand that they're not racist. They're not misogynistic, even the women. They're not xenophobic. That those things, having a a racist, xenophobic, misogynistic, sexually assaulting president is not a deal breaker for them. The kind of privilege that somebody has when they quote unquote voted for him to shake up the system. I don't know if I can explain to them at any point in time The anxiety I feel when I'm home by myself. I work in the medical field. I treat people of all walks of life. And plenty of them have let slip things that they realize were slip-ups after they looked at the reaction on my face. I can be professional, but at what point will I run into somebody who sees me and something snaps? I'm not so worried about the policies, but what I do worry about is the shockwave of hate that has been fueled in our country and how easily it is for somebody to lose those inhibitions that typically tell them it's not okay to hurt somebody because of what I feel when I look at them. If somebody does that to me, sure it sucks, but it's me. 
Most of my life, I have two daughters in tow. What do I do for them? If we believe in anything, we believe that there is a way for people in collaboration to find the truth. That there must be a way. There must be a way. I refuse to believe there isn't. It's not that I don't have hope. It's that there aren't a lot of silver linings to this particular election for those of us who think this way. No, and and it's and it's 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 funny. I was I was considering earlier today, knowing that we were going to have this conversation. You know, your interest in the in the collective unconscious and then mm-hmm. the idea that, well, perhaps these, the lesson of the 20th century and all the brutality and all the war and all the suffering and the divisiveness and the cruelty from people, perhaps that had somehow in a, an accelerated way entered into our unconscious and perhaps somewhere to my point earlier, someone would have seen the Holocaust or apartheid in South Africa or, you know, the civil rights struggle in America, take your pick. And that would have somehow infected them and that, or stayed with them and become a, become a solid way or an unconscious way that would give them pause. And, I, and if, if, I, if I was really going to give way to fatalism, perhaps all of that's just an anomaly. And if there is something in the collective unconscious, it is suffering and it is divisiveness. Yeah. I think that the fever of populism should it give way to nationalism i think we are all in grave danger because nationalism only ends uh with an outpouring a tidal wave of trauma mm-hmm. i feel like i really fucked all the positivity i was trying to build there i feel no, like the, I, but that's the thing that's what i that's what i want us to accept is that there's not a lot of positivity my my sense of schadenfreude enjoys when i see pictures of him miserable in his new job but, I mean, do I want to really garner my sense of positivity from schadenfreude? I mean, it, I guess it's coping for now. Um, yeah, it, you know, it's a, it's a Band-Aid on, on a bullet wound, for sure. Yeah. For yeah. As, much as, you, as, you, as, you, as much as you hope as it can, it can be assuaged and it can be met and more healthy examples can be modeled, my God, what that grandiosity can do. Sure. Right? And, 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 I mean, how far does it go? Sure. What, what, does, what does it consume? Right, uh, and you, and you consider the the man has. I suppose consumption's a good metaphor for him. He's the man has has just consumed at a at a ravenous pace for his entire life and doesn't seem to be satisfied by anything. Yeah, and this is so. This is where um, the uncertainty comes from because he's not he is not steered by a central sense of self or a moral compass. He could, you know, narcissism can go any way. It could be like Lance Armstrong becoming, you know, a athletic hero and, and creating cancer foundations and becoming this philanthropist and garnering all that approval from people in that way. Or it could, you know, it could go like all the horrible historical examples we have from the 20th century. I mean, I gotta say, if 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 he like started crushing the mountain stage of the Tour de France, I'm I'm I'm, I'm kind of all for that. Like even blood doping, blood doping, no blood doping. Like if you ever if you've ever ridden through the French Alps, man, like I would love to see him just just you know properly get after it. Well, let's we're gonna end it there. Do you have anything conclusive to say? No, nah, man. This is 
I between this and the fact that it's pitch black at four o'clock, I'm no, I'm in a far worse place than when this started. <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully, I haven't lost my appetite. That's where you and I differ. Oh, believe me, I I compensated. <laughs> <laughs> Did you start adding up all of the calories you missed out of and just saying, well, I could just slide those over to this week. That night, Friday night, I had like a New York strip and nice. like mashed potatoes and uh, I <laughs> ate nonstop, it felt like. I don't know. Oh man, we, the I think huevos I-, I had on Saturday morning. And I had, Look, if, if, I had a huevos if, rancheros dish, and I ordered a bagel buttered on the side. Wow, just the side, the side bagel. <laughs> the I just need a, bagel. I just need a, a whole side bagel just to dull the pain with, uh, with me huevos. Oh man! And then <laughs> we went to a brewery. They had this dish that was like poutine, but with fried chicken on the poutine. <laughs> the side. <laughs> The side fried chicken. The side fried oh, chicken. Side whole bit. Look, that, look, just. Okay. And then Saturday night we had, we went to a Cajun restaurant and I had catfish with rice and beans and cornbread with honey butter on it. I like how you're doing some sort of a cosmopolitan food shame tour. You know, it's like you're you're going from every culture, like the Bayou, sort of the Jewish Jewish culture with the bagel, <laughs> French Canadian culture with the poutine. Well, and then on Sunday morning, I woke up for our last day out of town, and I I, I had French toast, uh. <laughs> and the hotel restaurant. Oh God. You poor man, a world tour, a culinary world tour of shame. Sunday is usually where I start to be healthy, but the uh, the Seahawks were playing the Patriots that night. So you you so you ate you ate you ate both teams. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like a really anxious game because I was really expecting us to lose. So in the first quarter. <laughs> I think I ate. So you start, So you pre. You pre shamed. So you. Yeah. <laughs> I like. I think I ate like a, an entire grocery store pizza at a friend's house, along with some chip potato chips, and then this they won. Been, and I was like, "Oh well, that was unnecessary." Wow. If if this was a, like if this were a CBT session and we were doing your food log, I think I would have probably discharged you as a client immediately. I would have been like this. This, I need I, I need to refer you out. <laughs> yeah, if yeah, I'm I'm gonna refer you on because there are so many hot thoughts in this hot mess that nah, mate, this is this is not good. There's no way we can change this cognitively. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. You 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 did what you had to do. Yeah, we're coping. This has been between us. As usual, between us is produced by myself and Mason Neely who also composed our music. Next time we return to our regular scheduled programming when we discuss neuroscience. We appreciate all the feedback that you give us. It really encourages us, and we would encourage you to keep encouraging us. You can find us on social media. We have Facebook and Twitter. Please find us on there and follow us. Leave reviews on our iTunes page. And until next time, take care.